Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and again, truly grateful to have you joining me today for another amazing episode. Well, much has been said about Mother Teresa's dark night and the extended period of spiritual dryness and intense suffering that she had. So today's episode, we want to tackle why would God allow such an experience in her life and how does it appropriately apply to our own experiences of suffering? Today, I welcome Father Michael Champagne, Superior of the Community of Jesus Crucified in St. Martinville, Louisiana. Father Champagne is a wise spiritual director to many and an expert in the spiritual teachings of St. Teresa of Calcutta. In this episode, we discuss the impact of Mother Teresa's humble upbringing on her vocational discernment, the reasons she started the Missionaries of Charity, her aforementioned decades-long spiritual suffering, and what it means to experience the thirst of Jesus. This was the central teaching of her whole life, experiencing the thirst of Jesus. What does that mean for us today? After the show is done, please leave a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't know how to do that, then find me on Facebook or Instagram and leave a response there. All right, everybody, enjoy the show. Well, Father Champagne, thank you so much for joining me on the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Dr. Sakas. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, we've known each other for a few years. I've been grateful to have interacted with you and even gone on a retreat there at, at the Community of Jesus Crucified. Um, so just tell me a little bit about yourself, your mission, introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, you're a priest of the community uh, out there in St. Martinville. What is the charism of the community and uh, what, what, are, what are some of the things you guys got going on? All right. Yeah, I'm from a little town, Leonville. I'm a Cajun boy on the bayou, <laughs> uh, one of uh, nine children. Uh, my mom and dad raised Catholic and uh, loved to work on the farm. I went off to LSU, did engineering studies. And, uh, and then during the course of those studies, I made a crusio, had a conversion to start living the spiritual life. Not interested in a vocation, but just got pursuing holiness and pursuing uh, the Christian life and sacramental life. So in the process of that, it got started to call me in prayer and uh, ended up uh, after working a few years post, uh, you know, uh, LSU, uh, ended up uh, joining Father Jerome Fry, who had started a new uh, community uh, out of uh, Prayer Roan, uh, where the Curcio Center was located in the Diocese of Lafayette. So I joined him in 1988, uh, took vows in 1990, and mm-hmm. uh, then went off for studies, as ordained in 94, a priest. And so, um, and then now I'm... Uh, we're based in St. Martinville. We have a, our mother house there now. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, part of your studies, and this will be the, the focus of our show, has been that I think you, your dissertation, your doctoral work that you did, you focused on comparing the spirituality of Mother Teresa and St. Teresa of Lisieux. Is that, that's is correct, that correct? Right. And kind of seeing how much of Teresa Lisieux's teachings about the little way influenced Mother Teresa's spirituality and her work with the, the missionaries of charity. Um, and so I, th- I think that that's, that's really kind of what I would like for us to talk about, you know, sure. is kind of talking about mother and, and her spirituality and kind of what are some of the, the main points or, or points of emphasis, you know, that, that she really kind of harp, harps on mm. with her sisters and, and within just her, her broader teaching. So again, like, let's just, as a primer, again, our conversation, we can revisit some of the main points of mother Teresa's life. Like when did she enter religious life? And then she started a Loretto nun in the convent, just kind of some of the basic points, like when did she enter? And then when did she get? When did she start the missionaries of charity? So okay. just kind of some of the basic points so we can kind of frame our conversation. Okay, under sure, that. yeah. Well, Mother Teresa, uh, her name was uh, Agnes, was a baptism name. Her name was Gonja, which meant uh, 
Rosebud. Her mom's name, you know, is uh, mm. Jonathile, which uh, which means rose. So it's very close to my mom. That's beautiful. Uh, she was her mom was Rose. She was Rosebud. Oh, that's in, cute. In the, uh, in the Albanian language, they were born in. Uh, she was born in uh, Skopje, which is part of Macedonia, and uh, but they're Albanian. Albanian. Uh, she um, was born in 1910, mm-hmm. and uh, she had a sister Agi. She had a brother Lazar, and then her mom and dad. Her dad was Nicole, and her mama Jonafile. Uh, her dad. They, they're actually uh, uh, very close to church. Uh, they were at Sacred Heart Parish, which uh, in uh, was run by the. Jesuits for a while. Uh, um, well, it was first at Dawson Parish became Jesuit, and that mm-hmm. had a significant impact on her vocation. But uh, she was a uh, in about nine when she was about twelve years old, I guess uh, around. Uh, uh, I guess it'd be nineteen twenty-two or so. She started discerning a, a vocation, feeling like she was being called. She was sickly, the sickly child, uh, kind of like today's. She had tuberculosis okay. and uh, was undiagnosed and had problems breathing, a lot of asthma and stuff. So they would bring her uh, up to the mountains. They had a, a shrine of the of, uh, of the uh, Black Mountain, of the Madonna, and she used to go there for the Feast of the Assumption, and she'd mm-hmm. go early because of the air was better quality for her breathing. It's and, amazing. And so we have uh, x-rays, actually, that were taken later in her life. Uh, I've seen those x-rays. Really? Where, where you have uh, calcification in the lungs that show uh, wow. inactive tuberculosis. So wow. she was... Uh, she, her mama thought she'd either die young or or go into religion, mm. and so she got the she started to discern a vocation. There was a priest that came into life, Father John Brekovich, uh, who was a Jesuit a priest, came as the associate, and then ended up becoming the pastor. There had a big influence on her in helping her discern her vocation, and particularly a missionary vocation, because he would uh, there, he was a Jesuit, and the Jesuits had a mission in. Um, in uh, Port Nagas, uh, India, and so in, in Bengal, the state of Bengal, which is near Calcutta. And yeah. So all that was run by the Belgian Jesuits, and they had a lot of uh, Croatian Jesuits there as well. So when they would make their journeys, they would stop there in uh, in uh, in Skopje and stay at the parish. Mother Teresa was very involved with the sodality, very close to our lady. She loved that mm-hmm. lady. She was uh, in charge of the sodality. And so at 13, 14, she was uh, with would meet these missionaries and and so she was very involved uh and she always wanted to do geography and mm. wanted to go to all these places and so she her favorite topic uh, subject was geography really yeah and so uh what That's happened amazing. was um she her father died when she was about nine years old this is before she started getting a call for and uh, he was involved they were actually quite well they were i'd say upper middle class uh mm-hmm. he uh, built a theater in the town awesome. construction business did, did some work with uh with an Italian partner and uh, with some commerce and stuff. He was involved in politics, trying to liberate Albania. And mm-hmm. um, so he was at a, went to a political rally and went there and it was believed to be poisoned. He came back, deathly ill and died. She oh was nine years old. And they went to extreme poverty. Uh, her mama made, made some, did sewing and stuff, but uh, the partner ran off with the money. And uh, so they became from, from fairly well off and comfortable to very, very poor, but always very devout, always worked with the poor. The poor is obviously something we know yeah. Mother Teresa for, but they always had people staying at the house, feeding people that were, she would, uh, her mom would say, well, these are our distant relatives, you know. And, uh, <laughs> she would say that to the mom, yeah. Well, the mother would tell that to the kids. To the yeah. kids. So the mom was very, very devout, as well as the father. And the priest would always come over for meals, kind of like, Even after know. the dad died and do- yeah. that type of 
openness, hospitality. The still church play. became even more important once. Wow. Once, uh, you so know, you can see that being the seeds of of even the the the, the missionary life. Then the charity, no question, charity, and, yeah, it was all there, and even her childhood. And even the environment. You see, Scorpio was, I would say, probably ninety eight percent either Orthodox and Muslim. Okay. So the Roman Catholic had one church that covered, I like, like be the city of New Orleans. Wow. It was, it was wow. a huge territory. It was very missionary. So uh, she was very used to dealing with people of different religions, which was a good formation for yeah. later on her missionary Absolutely. activity. And, uh, but very close to the church. And so after the death of her father, the church and, uh, you know, and family, that was it. And so Mother Teresa always had a very happy family. She used to tell the sisters, you know, I had a very happy family and, and I made the sacrifice. My mom had to make the sacrifice. I left that. And then Loretto, when she went to Loretto and had to leave from Loretto, she had a very, so she wasn't running from something to try to alleviate. It was always, she was very happy where she was, but God called her out of a very good situation. That's see, a, to yes. something. And that's an important in discernment. A lot of times we're looking for our vocation, we, we see as a solution to a problem. And it doesn't mean that I have to be, you know, flunking out of engineering in order to, yeah. you know, they forgot to call me. Uh, that you know, I loved being an engineer and I, and I was good at it and, and, and I was happy in that. And yet he, he was a, there was a tug calling beyond that. And that's what happened with Mother Teresa. So in 1928, you know, she told her mom, she says, uh, God's calling me and I want to join uh, the uh, Loretto sisters because- And that's the, a convent, right? That's yeah. a cloistered community. Well, right. no, the sisters, no. the sisters of Loretta were teachers. Were teachers. But but they, they weren't like on the street like Mother Teresa eventually mm -hmm. uh, her community became. They weren't cloistered, but they was a cloister. Most religious communities had cloisters for the nuns. And so they were teaching, and but they had limited access outside of the cloister. So it wouldn't be like the, what we think like the the cloistered Carmelites, okay. or Clares, okay. maybe and stuff of that nature. So, but that was true of most of the the, the nuns were uh, were bound to the cloister. So let me ask you this one second. So she, twelve, she starts feeling this this note, this idea, right, right. Of, of religious life, interacting with the Jesuits that came through her town, mm -hmm. missionary Jesuits throughout her teenage years. Right. Finally, at eighteen, she says, "Like, I'm, I feel really called to this." Let me go. Where, was her mom supportive of, of that decision? Yeah, it's a good, uh, good point. Mother Teresa had spoken to Father John Brekovich and had kind of realized that that she was called. She went to tell her mom, and she wanted her mom's blessing. Story, Mother Teresa says this herself. She, her mom went into her bedroom, locked the door, didn't come out for 24 hours, and prayed. Wow. And she came out fine. She said, okay, you go. You put your hand in Jesus' hand and never look back. Wow. Because if you look back, you'll turn back. You know, wow. the kind of old plow, yeah, you know, yeah. once you uh, don't wow. put your hand to the plow and turn back. And so she gave a blessing. And at, at 18, then she she left uh, and went from there to uh, to Paris. She joined another girl from her from her parish uh, and they went over to travel together, took the train and they went to um, to Paris and there met with the provincial superior of the Sister Loretto, Sister Loretto. Uh, of the Blessed Virgin Mary. They were basically female Jesuits mm. because their rule was basically the Jesuit rule with female pronouns. That's amazing. Yeah. So they had the same kind of structure, the same kind of, as far as the statutes, uh, in their prayer book, they had his letter about obedience and submitting, uh -huh. you know, your, 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 your judgment and ultimate superior. So they were very, like female Jesuits, and they were missionaries. So that was why Father Jim Brekovich suggested she wanted Got to be a missionary. It. So she went uh, to Paris, met with the superior, the provincial. She was uh, accepted and then went over to Rathfarnham uh, near Dublin, uh, Rathfarnham, uh, Ireland. 
And that's where the sister's mother house was. So she started hypostasy there. Yeah, but there's nothing beautiful about like just, again, community and who God puts into your life and that being part of discernment. I mean, I know now that we have books and things that people can look at and you can go to any website of any religious community. But I think sometimes, honestly, like what makes discernment so difficult for people, and especially young people now age, is just the volume of options that you That's have. That's correct. And it's like, well, I don't know if this community is really it or this community. Now, again, there's something beautiful in that we can be inter- more interconnected. But to some degree, like also we need to trust who God puts into our no life. Question. And so for her, it was, you know, this is the Jesuit priest who came into my life and he steers me into this. That's correct. We have to presume that this is that this is good and that he sees he wants the good for me and my life. And this isn't just about padding our numbers or getting, you know, whatever other altruistic, not altruistic, ulterior motive that we can have in this. But then genuinely, it's like, this is it. And this is how God kind of leads us. No question. You see, today, that's a big problem, people. And sometimes, as Fulton Sheen said years ago, a discussion can be an excuse from decision. Mm. And so we kind of procrastinate through looking at all our options and fear there might be an option out there that we're not considering. But Mother Teresa is very incarnational. This is very, she got this from the family, but she was always very tactile, very feet on the ground, you know, the running congregation, you know, when the mission of the charity, but even as a Loretto sister and in her discernment. So God's providence, God orders all, all things mightily mm-hmm. and lovingly. So the fact that this priest showed up at a certain time, mm-hmm. the fact that she was head of the sodality, that she had to get some of these Jesuits uh, as head of her little sodality, uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, the girls and the youth group, and th- these priests would speak, and then she'd get a chance to talk to them afterwards. All this, God was ordering her, you see, toward this. And uh, so she ends up in uh, Rathfarnham, uh, Dublin, in, uh, I guess, 1928 um, uh, or so, uh, the end of, toward the end of 1928. And uh, she studies um, English. So she already knew Albanian, she knew Croat, she knew a little French. And, um, and then she went over and learned English uh, in Rathfarnham. Because uh, that's the, the, the language of the Sisters of Loretto. Then she got on a, uh, right around Christmas, it was in December, she got on a ship and sailed from Ireland to India. Oh, my goodness. And we have a beautiful poem that she wrote while she was on there. They celebrated Christmas uh, oh on the my. ship and stuff. Yeah. And they made a little crib. And we have letters of her. She wrote letters back uh, in, um, in, her, uh, uh, in Croat to this uh, Sacred Heart Messenger, which was a, which was a, she wrote them back home and the priest had them published in the, uh, in the Jesuit little missionary magazine. Sacred Heart Messenger. That sounds like a, yeah. like a Catholic social communication app. Is that, <laughs> that, that wasn't it? That wasn't, no, that wasn't on the iPhone? It was a, it was a predecessor. <laughs> it was a predecessor. When I went to, I went to, uh, I went to Croatia and um, I had to, um, to, to research archives and uh-huh. I had to pour through like stacking these things and I found her letters that's unbelievable. Uh, to her past, Father Jim Brevin, and, and, and uh, about her experience and on the train on the uh, ship. So she arrives there in uh, January of uh, twenty nine, mm. and that uh, she goes into the um, uh, into the novitiates, the two year novitiates, the nineteen thirty ones when she took vows. I think May twenty fourth, nineteen thirty one, in the Sicily Loretto. Their novitiate was up in uh, up in the. Um, Kind of the uh, in, up in the Himalayas, you know, oh and uh, 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 way the, up. Now, did she request uh, to go to India, or is that just they get providence? It just kind of that's she wanted that, to be a missionary. That's that where yeah, they're, they're, that's where the they were involved was. in other places as well. But uh-huh. that's where she was sent, and that's where they had a novitiate. And so she went to the novitiate there. She she was uh, this is where uh, during her her postancy uh, in Rathfarnham, she would always speak about 
Therese Lisieux. She started, it was it was actually Jim Breckovich that introduced her, and her mama had a great devotion to Therese. We know that from some of the letters that her mother wrote to her uh, as a young nun about praying for her before the image of Saint Teresina, the, the little Therese. Yeah. So she had asked, we know from uh, sources that she had asked for that name, but they already had a novice that had just left to go to, uh, uh, to the novitiate who, uh, in India, who had taken the name Therese Breen. She uh, was an Irish sister. And so they said, you can have Teresa of the Child Jesus, but you're gonna have to take the Latino spelling and its pronunciation. So she was called Sister Teresa of the Child Jesus. Got that it. was her name. And she got that uh, in uh, in Rathfornum and then got on the ship with, with her name and her Poston cap and stuff. We have a picture of her signed cord with a little photo to her aunt and uncle uh, with that. So she gets to the novitiate and, um, and makes her novitiate, takes vows in 1931. And then uh, we see her taking her final vows in 1937. Mm. So it's about six years for that. When they took final vows, then they were called mother. So all those in perpetual profession were called mothers. Okay. Mother Bernard, Mother Lucille, Mother Teresa. So the name mother, mother was there. For was just like the madams of the Sacred Heart used yeah. to do that. The madams would take once you became a, um, a finally professed, then instead of sister, they called you mother. Mm-hmm. We had the mother superior, but but all the professors that were uh, were called mother were called mother, and she uh, loved the poor because she was raised with a family on that. And her mama would write and say, "Don't forget the poor, don't forget the poor," mm. because they were very poor uh, after her father's death, and they worked you know, helped the poor. So she uh, worked at not the uh, Anglo Indian school at Convent Row, which was uh, uh, at uh, uh, Loretta House uh, in in Calcutta, but on Convent Row. Uh, which was uh, near the Modigil uh, slums. And so, and she taught in the Bengali section. So she learned Bengali. Uh, she learned Hindi and Bengali. So that was uh, another- Another uh, two another, languages. Yeah, two so languages. So she, she was- so That's five uh, languages large. right there. Five, so she, and she taught in the Bengali. She had a very good handle of the Bengali language and spoke uh, and, and taught in Bengali to the Indian girls and the poor. The, the, the wealthier English uh, uh, Indian girls would go to the uh, the other school, Loretta House, near the cathedral, and they were the Anglo Indians, and they were taught in English. Uh, but she taught in the uh, in the Bengali, and she would go and uh, teach catechism at Saint Teresa of Avila Parish uh, down the road. And she'd walk, you know, she'd walk by the Modigil uh, slums, people living in, in hovels and, and holes and stuff. And then when you had the 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 partition with Pakistan and then the uprising Muslim and Hindu. Uh, kind of civil war, if you will, uh, they had probably uh, 12, 14 million people on the streets. My goodness. So you had the refugees and they were dying, living on streets and dying. So it was a great deal of poverty. And yeah. uh, and certainly that was that was something that Mother Teresa was uh, encountering. And so now, the excuse poverty- Excuse my, my ignorance with mm-hmm. the history here also. When, when does Gandhi and the Indian Revolution against, you know, the the- the British. When is that happening? Is that well? This it, is going on about that time. That's yeah, what I'm thinking, right? Forty-six or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That kind of comes, comes comes a little after, later. A little later than that, but this is when you had one time. Mother Teresa was uh, all the schools were kind of closed. She was with her children. She had about three hundred girls uh, locked up in the building. Uh, with her, they was uh, um, uh, they they couldn't go out on the streets, and they were starving. So Mother Teresa went out. She broke the uh, broke the curfew and everything to go out to get some bread for the for the girls. Amazing. And there was she saw there was dead bodies all over the place and blood and the carnage and stuff of the of the uprising. Uh, I think it was around August the fifteenth or so, August sixteenth of uh, nineteen forty six that the five thousand were killed in one day 
And, goodness. Uh, so it was a, so she saw that. That was that was some of the background of her call within a call. Yeah. Uh, but her call within a call, she what happened was there was a nun, Sister Stephanie McKinnitek, who was Irish, who was getting ready for final vows, and she was going to go up uh, to the to the uh, retreat house to make her retreat. And so they never sent a sister by herself. So Mother Teresa accompanied her, and she was the the, the house mother for these girls. So she kind of uh, she ran the school. She was the headmistress for this school. Mm-hmm. But she went with Sister Stephanie, and they went up on a train to get right up into the Himalayas to the retreat house. And that's when she had that encounter. She calls it on the feast of uh, well, it was September the tenth, nineteen forty six, that she had some kind of encounter with the thirst of Jesus. Okay. And she got to retreat. So she's on the train. She's on the she, train. She feels like she has this experience where Jesus is now inviting her into something more. But she doesn't really know what that is. Is that it's right? It's desire. She does. And, and at the time, it was just a burning desire uh, that she called an experience of Jesus' thirst. Okay. Uh, Jesus on the cross. Now, uh, she had some kind of encounter uh, on this train. And whether it was with poor people on the train, I talked to Sister Stephanie when I was doing research. She's deceased now. But she said, you know, we were in the normal class, and I don't know that that would have been the case, whether she was reading St. John's Gospel or not, whether it was something that had a kind of antecedent cause that she was meditating upon she wasn't aware of, she said. But she does know that during the retreat, says Father Antoine was doing the retreat for her, and she was like hogging all the time. You say every time she went to talk to Father, <laughs> she was uh, uh, in there. And, and the so, other sister was supposed to be on the retreat. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so she was accompanying, but she's... right. So a lot of things, she was writing things down. Yeah, and so yeah. during those 10 days, a lot of things yeah. happened uh, in her soul. But it, we know that it actually continued on for about uh, five or six months. Okay. And so there were really inspiration days, but there was an encounter with the thirst of Jesus that she continued to harp back to, even into her, the day she died, her letter speaking about the thirst of Jesus. So she encountered the thirst that Jesus was thirsting for her Mm. and Jesus was thirsting for the poor, that he Mm. wants union with us. And he wanted her to be a a, a means of going out to the poor. And and not just to address the thirst of Jesus for food and for love, warm hand among the poor, because Jesus is in them, you see, that she understood that, that Jesus is present in the poor, that I can't wipe the face of Jesus today. I'm born in 1963, and so uh, too late, and I'm born on the wrong side of the pond. So I'm not going to wipe Jesus' face like Veronica did. I'm not going to carry the cross like Simon did. But I can, because ever since the incarnation of the Son of God, God admits best, number 22, uh, the church says that Christ has united himself with every human being in some mysterious way known only to God. Mm. And so that the passion of Christ is open up to every human being Amen. to participate. So Mother Teresa, before God and best, that, that was revealed to her, and she understood that. And that's really the driving force of her, the thirst of Jesus. She didn't want to leave Loretto. And she loved the poor. She always worked with the poor the best that she could in her situation. But it wasn't the uprising. It wasn't uh, even the needs that drove her. It was this encounter with Jesus, uh, thirst on the cross. And and that's what gave the impetus. And it, until the day she died, this drove her. So the thirst of Jesus is, as Father Joseph Langford, who was close to her, co-founded the Missionary Charity Fathers, says it's the secret fire of what makes her tick. And that's certainly, she always longed to give herself to God. She always longed for souls. She had a zeal for souls. That drew that drew, uh, drew her to India, he says, as a young girl. But it was given a new impetus. 
And so Mother Teresa saw herself like as a water girl wanting to satiate the thirst of Jesus. So that we always we had the thirst on top of the crucifixes, a missionary charity houses. But if you go to mother houses, I thirst and there's I quench. Wow. And so the, the role of the missionary charity system for Mother Teresa, it was Jesus, wherever he's present, is suffering and he's thirsting. He's thirsting not just for water or for food. He's thirsting for love. He wants to be somebody to someone. Mm. And he longs to be longed for. He loves to be loved. He desires to be desirable. And so Mother Teresa and the sister would, would seek him out and find him in the poor and 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 have, you see, contact with him and, and love him there because that's what he, he's thirsting for. And then also to bring the poor to Jesus because just because you're poor doesn't mean you're going straight to God. Mother Teresa, Jesus told Mother Teresa in these locutions and visions she had over a period of months after the September the 10th experience that how their sin hurts me, talking about the poor and the homeless, how Satan has them in his grasp. See, because we go back to suffering. Suffering, you see, is an evil uh, uh, that uh, of itself, we say in philosophy, a moral evil, and it's a lack of some goodness or something. Right. And so without... A, an, uh, a Christian revelation on the meaning of suffering and without being able to uh, to season that with caritas, with charity, then suffering makes us bitter. Sure. And so I can become worse than the thing that bit me. And we've met people that have been very, very bitter and they might not have committed a mortal sin in their life, but they were maybe physically abused, maybe some terrible situation happened in their life. And without some proper direction, they became very, very bitter and, and, and become toxic. And so... This is the great need. Mother Teresa used to say that the poor do not have the joy that the suffering of Christ should should bring mm. because they don't know of him. So they this do. became the impetus to teach them, to educate them, to help them become saints. Amen. You follow me? Yeah, I do. I do. So, you know, there's a few things I'm kind of rattling off in my mind right now. The, the first thing is, one of the misunderstandings of Mother Teresa, I think, has always been like that she's just gentle, she's polite, she's this. She was tough as nails, man. I mean, like when you think about somebody who says like, I really feel this is what God's call and conviction is, and then she goes and does it and and doesn't really have it all figured out, you know, when right. she leaves and she, just what are you going to do? You're going to go take care of the poor. And what does that mean? You're literally going to grab them off the streets. And some of them are like caked onto the asphalt because it's mm -hmm. been so hard and they're ripping them off, you know, and, and taking care of them, do whatever you can. But then at the same time to not get overwhelmed by like the, the, the responsibility or the bigness of it. I mean, That's just, right. I mean, I, I just think that that type of focus, cause we can, I, I know I can think in my own life when I think about projects and ideas and I'm like, okay, is Lord call me to this? Is Lord call me to this? I mean, I, I, I honestly tend to overanalyze everything in mm -hmm. my own life. I can say, and I know in counseling individuals, I, I get that sense often from them as well, is that we try to measure different things, but it's kind of like, okay, well, when God makes it clear that he's called us to something, we just have to engage in that space and have the courage and the conviction to do that. And I think that courage and conviction is something that, that gets lost in the Mother Teresa narrative, mm -hmm. um, in, in my own kind of opinion sure. of it, you know, because I think people don't realize how, how strong-willed that she was in a good way. Well, she had it naturally. She had it. She was Albanian. She was a tough, tough woman. And I remember one story, she was bringing the, the kids for First Communion, all in their dresses, and they had like some red uh, ribbons in their, in their uh, hair. And she's walking down, going to St. Teresa's, and she's by the police station, and they had a big bull that was tied uh, to, um, 
to this uh, bench or whatever in front of the police station. And, of course, they're sacred, you know, uh, uh, and the Hindus. And, and uh, the bull started, you know, because I guess the, the sunlight, they had, their, they had umbrellas for the sun and the red umbrellas. So the bull, like, pulled off the thing and started charging the girls. Oh, my. And Mother Teresa went with an umbrella, and the thing hit Mother Teresa and pitched her about a good 20 feet, you know, what? up in there. So you brushed herself off, and she chewed out the police, off the men that was sitting there did nothing. You know, and the bull took off, you know, with his tail between his legs, you know. Wow. But she was she was tough. Yeah. And she would chew out the sisters when they were out of line. I mean, she was, uh, she was, uh, she'd tell it to cardinals. Mm. She would uh, correct. Uh, she was a tough, with John Paul, John Paul, he, he was dealing with the, with the, with the, with the at the, at the Vatican. They, she wanted to put a soup kitchen in the Vatican mm -hmm. and, uh, and he was kind of postponed a little bit because uh, the, the vicars and say there's no Rome. And he said, you know, every time Mother Teresa would come, uh, she was like that widow, you see, was going to attack him. And so he told his uh, prefect and he said, no, you hold it. says, no, Rome. Look, he said, bring me the, bring me the, the maps, bring me the maps. And they brought it to him. He said, "Put it here. Like there's rum right here. There we can't. Yes, we can. You know. Yeah. He said, "We got to. Mother Teresa's gonna, gonna <laughs> she's know, not, drop she's gonna <laughs> Yeah. So she she was um, she was pushy and that, but she had that already in her nature. She was strong willed. Got it. And then with Grace, she became you know really really. Uh, this is can be seen as arrogance. You know. Well, uh, all generations will call me blessed. Well, the blessed mother wasn't arrogant. That right. sounds a bit bold. Well, it's yeah. true. It's true. And to know the truth is humility, and, and then it brings a courage. Amen. So, and and she was uh, when you read her letters. Yeah. I mean, we we uh, these were discovered in July 1999. They opened the cause for Mother Teresa, the diocesan process. Mm -hmm. So uh, she dies in 97. So it's she two dies years right in 97. Yeah. Uh, Henry de Sousa, Archbishop Henry de Sousa, asked to open the cause. Uh, the Vatican said no. You know, it's a five-year uh, process. You can't open a cause for five years. So he, you know, he told the people. And then they got so much request that they sure. told him, go ahead and open it. So he opened in July 1999. Uh, Van Exum, apparently, they, they, uh, the Archbishop had kept, uh, Archbishop Picashi had kept, uh, for the Niner, who was a spiritual writer, had kept. So Jesuits kept these things. And they had him in the archives. And those were those letters of darkness. A lot of them Got spoke it. about her soul and the family. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that in a second. We'll get mm -hmm. to that in a little bit. So let's just say with the, with the call within the call, recognizing that grace perfects nature. Uh, she, by nature, is strong willed, is tough. And again, I, I just want to reiterate this point because. I think so often, even now, the Christian message, well, the culture message is kindness, 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 which kindness is a great virtue, certainly. Mm -hmm. But even within that, like there, we're, we're called to a certain boldness mm -hmm. when God actually invites us to respond to him, that there's no passivity in the Christian life. Mm -hmm. And even so, I think when it comes to discernment, sometimes we're like, well, what's God will? God, what's God will? What's God will? He's going to reveal it to me. It's like, well, there's an element of this that that's active, too. Like you have to go. Yes, we have to receive. But then God wants us to go engage. Right. Yeah, I think I even saw a quote by Pope Francis, something like, we pray for the poor, but then we go feed them. Yeah. That's the Christian message. Right, you know, right, like it's, yeah. it's like this, this, and this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think Mother Teresa recognized that and in, in, incarnated that in a very particular way. Now, the call within the call, so this lasts within five, six months. So finally, she, at what point does she feel like convicted that she needs to leave Loretto and then start the Missionaries of Charity? Well, you know, initially, you know, she didn't want to go. Mm -hmm. So in her letters... 
I'm so afraid, dear Jesus, I'm so afraid. Please go call a more worthy nun. Please, Jesus. Uh, I'll be more serious at the Loretto now. I'll become a great saint here in Loretto, please. So, you know, we think that she, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, I, I, sir. She didn't. Mm. Uh, she walked, you know, it was like Jonah. She wanted to go off, you know, and this is good for us to know. Uh, it took her a while to rest. And Jesus, she had taken a vow in 1942. Uh, uh, actually, uh, in uh, 1942, she took a vow to never refuse Jesus anything he had ever would ask of her. And she got that from Therese because Therese said, I never refused Jesus at the time, age of three or whatever. And so she did that. And then Jesus seems to refer to that in these in this back and forth. You you told me that you would, re will thou refuse me? Will thou? So Jesus continued to bring back, will thou refuse? Will thou and those refuse? are brought in these locutions that she was asked for right, these and, these, okay. and, the, and these words that she spoke. So she wrestles with this back and forth and then and uh then she says i'm ready to go lord at, at, at any moment so she resigns she accepts after some struggle her spiritual director makes her keep quiet about these things not to talk not to talk to him about it not to talk, just pray he would pray she would pray that's for the van exum and then after a period of time uh he or they spoke about it and he was convinced that this was from god and he was reluctant he was her spiritual director he had refused originally and says Unless the archbishop, I didn't come here to be uh, directed to nuns. I came here to do an intellectual apostolate for the Muslims because he was he was a big gun mm -hmm. Muslim scholar teaching at Xavier University, doctoral students. Well, the arch she pushed to the archbishop. So I needed for director. They'd be a good one for me. <laughs> so he wrote her and and made this priest against his will be a spiritual director to Mother Teresa, who was you know. And so that's how pushy you know she was. So it was a blessing because he, he got on her cause. He went to Archbishop Perry. Archbishop Perry says. You, 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 you young priest, you come here to Calcutta. Next thing you be telling sisters to get out of their cloister. What are you? So the archbishop was very, very no. Mm. Okay. And, and I think it was a, the right way to uh, treat it originally. So it took about two years from the time that God called her to the time she left Loretto. And so part of that six months or so was her own wrestling. Then the direction with the spiritual director, objectivity, his going to bat for her with the archbishop, the archbishop praying about it, and then finally coming to the decision this is from God. And then he went to Rome and asked permission for her to be able to be allowed to, to leave Loretto for this project to start Amazing. the mission of the charity. Yeah. But no so one like, really knows what that meant. No one had any idea that it would become what it is now. No, it's just no. like she, she just wanted that. to go I mean, out and start serving in the slums. She just knew that uh, she wanted to feed Christ poor and, yeah. and give and Jesus uh, minister to Jesus a sick. But Matthew 25, you see, yeah, yeah. really, you know, John 19 and Matthew 25 became uh, part of that call within a call. So, so she, she still belonged to Jesus, but but now to to serve him in this new way, and and it was radical at that time for a nun to leave. The I can country. imagine just for a nun to leave for free, honestly, just for a single woman to be out in the streets like that. Am well, I, I it mean, wasn't, like, and you know, she never really went alone. When she okay. went out, she would um, because it was against the culture, right? So when she left, she went to stay with the uh, with the little sisters of the poor. And and so she would go to go to St. Teresa's parish every morning and wait for one of the widows, one of the lay people after mass who were free to come with her and they'd go work with the poor. Mm. But sometimes they wouldn't show up because they had a sick grandkid or because the husband wanted to do something and she'd eat lunch and say, make a holy hour and go back. She, so she, she said, I, 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 we have to have consecrated. There's no way. You said, I, I need people that would be free to do this work full time. And now she knew that God wanted Indian nuns and consecrated sisters, but a lot of the uh, judges were saying, well, you can do this with volunteers. You can do this with volunteers. And she just knew she was convinced because she couldn't go out by herself. So how soon did she get a group of volunteers, a group of women, she, a group of women to begin the first discernment? Very quick. Actually, it was uh, all the first 12 
the first 12 that you know took vows uh, were all her uh, former students. Got it. And so she already had a relationship with them. They were getting out of school, you know, the, the, the uh, 12th grade or whatever would be the uh, equivalent. And uh, they were coming and starting to knock on the door. As first sister to join her, uh, joined her, I guess. First thing Mother did, Teresa did, she went to Patna and she went to the medical missionaries, uh, which were uh, Mother Dengal was a German congregation, started a community. So they were they were doing medical work. And so Mother Teresa was sent there for nursing training. We have her, her notebooks with her, her courses of anatomy and all this stuff, how to start, uh, you know, uh, do a, 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 get blood and, and hmm. do different wounds and stuff. She did that for a couple months, back and forth writing to uh, to Father Van Exum. Look, I don't need all this. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. She was chomping at the bit, you see, to get to work. Yeah, there's that pushiness um, again. But actually, uh, she was docile because the superior asked about her new congregation and said, what you're going to do? What you, how are you going to eat? What, what's your rule? And Mother Teresa said, we're going to eat what the poor eat. And Mother Dingle says, you eat what the poor eat. Mm-hmm. You're European. You see, coming from that, you will be dead in two weeks. And those girls who join you, you'll be responsible before God for their death. Wow. You will do no good for the poor. You got to, I've been doing this for years. This is our work. You got to do this, this, and this. Mother Teresa heard that. She got changed it. her rule, made them eat like four chapatis, you know, like tacos, yeah. you know, per yeah. day. So one of the things about Mother Teresa was able to take. Correct, yeah. Correct. So the, well, we're not talking about this arrogance. We're talking about no, just we're a, talking a strict, about with strictness. Boldness, boldness. You see, coming out of a receptivity to the truth. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Mario Sacasa, and I am taking a quick break from my conversation with Father Champagne to invite you to check out our Faith and Marriage YouTube page. During this time of quarantine, Jason and myself have been very active with numerous Facebook Lives, stretching from questions about the quarantine, suffering during this time, how to raise our kids, great conversations with folks like Brian Butler, uh, Dr. Tom Neal, Father Andrew Gutierrez, Dave Dawson, and others. We've had a wonderful opportunity engaging in these conversations while we've all been at home in our respective places. And so we've put every single one of those space Facebook Live events on YouTube, and they are there waiting for you on our YouTube channel at Faith and Marriage. So please check it out, YouTube, Faith and Marriage. You're going to love it. Great content for you and for your family. So right there with that point, I think that's another element that I find that may get lost at times is that she serves, but her service is in the context of community and in prayer. And I've heard stories of like her living very regimented kind of prayer life. And I've heard the story, I don't know, I remember where I even came across, but there was a man who was knocking on the door while they were in in a holy hour or something. And the, the sisters were in a holy hour, banging on the door. And saying, you know, like, let me in, let me in, I need food, I need food, or and, and just begging for help. And so finally, mother gets up out of prayer and goes to the door and says, listen, come back during these hours when we're available. Mm-hmm. We're in prayer right now. And the guy was real pushy about it. And he's like, she said, no, like, we need to take care of ourselves now. We need to be in prayer now right. and community now so then that we can give of ourselves to to you, you know, when the time is right. And, and again, that's that's the... So when we're not talking about like this mere activism no, or this, this no workaholism, like this work yourself to the bone, like you can serve and do what the Lord is asking you to do. And it's going to be hard work, but, you, but God cares about us as well. And we have to take care of ourselves even in the midst of that service, um, which quite honestly, if I mean, I know we're not really talking about formation, seminary formation right now, 
that's a message that I think gets lost with some of our young priests. Like we 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 pay lip service to prayer life, but then when when push comes to shove, a lot of these young guys are being burnt out within the first couple of years of pastoral ministry because they're they're not given the freedom to take care of their prayer life and they're not given the freedom to really be in community with with one another the way that they should be. That's so, correct. I know it's a different charism, diocese life versus religious. I get it. Mm-hmm. But but we can't use that as an excuse to no, burn guys out. Sanctity so, is singular, yeah. you know, and, and it's a participation in God and in prayer as an obligation. Amen. Mother Teresa would do this. She would lock the door, close the door at a certain time. The next morning she'd open it and be dead. People had died. Wow. wow. But you, you had this terrible situation. But she'd have been dead in a couple, you, you feel me? So she she would do what she could, but then there was a time for prayer. Uh, Barbara Walters went one time, spent some time and said, why, and, and why do we waste this, this whole hour? Why don't we get to this? This is the work right here. She said, without that hour before, a- after mass and holy hour, this is all useless. Yeah. So it came from an intimacy. It, it came, and she would say, we're, we're contemplatives 24 hours a day because we're with Jesus. And then we leave him in his Eucharistic presence for his presence in the poor. And we make contact. So without that, without that Eucharistic contact, she, you you can't see Jesus in the poor. Mm-hmm. You have to be be trained on on, on that. And and they were they were very very faithful. She, Mother Teresa was very faithful. The day she died, she she was uh, in in prayer. You had Mass and and then after Mass, had a young couple with a suicide and wanted to see Mother Teresa visit with him for hours. The day she died, you know, not feeling well, but but it, it comes out of an intimacy. And this is our, our problem today. We don't know intimacy. We're trying to ex- to, to be active as if we're, you see, holy. Right. But Mother Teresa's activity came out of a union with God. And because Jesus kissed her in that particular way, uh, she wanted to, to serve. Right. And so it's a fruit. Uh, if you love someone, you know, Ignatius would say, you want to express it in deeds. Uh, love seeks to express. God so loved the world that he did something about it but it comes out of that love. And so service uh, brings uh, the fruits of charity uh, into the concrete world. So she has the call within the call, has locutions, has this intense dialogue with the Lord, starts living the life of the missionary charity. Fruit is happening, the mission is expanding, people are being brought back to the Lord, people are being helped, being saved, the community grows, and then in the midst of all of that, the lights turn out in the spiritual Mm. life. And this right. is the when, when does the dark night of her start for her? Well, the I mean, there's some there's some argumentation back and forth. That, uh, scholars will argue that certain dates and times. We have letters in uh, 1937. You know, when she writes about after profession, my life is more of one by thorns than by roses. Speaking about about darkness and sub darkness is my daily portion. She speaks about it. Then we have that in some of her letters in 37. Uh, but we we do find that uh, at the time of these locutions and stuff that she is very advanced in the spiritual life, uh, and there's a, the joy uh, that comes from you know the, uh, the growth in, of the community and the sisters and stuff. She writes to Father Van Exum at one point after she has a number of nuns. Uh, uh, all these things about, but one thing is lacking. Jesus said, "I would suffer much, and I do not. I mean, my soul is completely at peace, and I do not have this suffering." Now she had suffering of, of the fatigue in her diary. We have her diary where she would write down each day she was alone. She was lonely. She was getting depression. She was she was longing for the uh, recreations of culture to be able to talk to people who knew something about music and Mozart. Right. They were very cultured. This was a joy. Uh, the buildings, the comfort. Uh, Mother Teresa had to. This was uh, a, a a big thing that she speaks about. 
Uh, so these are human things, grieving that Mother Teresa went through, some maybe even discouragement and depression that was you know, uh, uh, facing her in these early days. But generally speaking, at peace. And then around 19, between 1951 and 52, so probably in October How 51. many years are we talking now? The, she's 19, how many years after she leaves Loretta? Well, 46, she leaves Loretta. 46, so like she gets the call. 48, she leaves. So and like, the end of 48, so... So, so like 49, 50, 51, about three years of the mm -hmm. community. It grows re Rose relatively fast. quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 12 yeah. girls join her, and the first group is going to take vows in 1950. Yeah. Uh, 1950 is October the 7th. Is I know a number of, of people who would start who would love to start a new community and get 12 people right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, no. It's <laughs> one of the fastest growing communities ever in the history of the church. Ever, absolutely. Ever. Yeah, yeah. I think and people it, it forget created, how, it, how little, how, how young it is in terms of the history no of the church. No question. There was yeah, uh, yeah, 5,000 sisters by the time she died. and uh yeah, 400 yeah. something houses, yeah, whatever, yeah. 500 houses. It's like 750 houses now. Um, so that at, by around 1951, the lights go off. And we, we most spiritual theologians think, well, this is the passive night of spirit when the lights just in interior darkness and just cold as by the heart, a burning desire, feeling, you know, they, 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 she says, like, I'm a, like my first love, everything. Jesus was my first love, my only love. I gave myself as a young girl to him, I, I wedded him everything I gave to him, and it's like he like rejected me. Mm. It'd be like like you, a woman's terribly in love with her husband, and her husband leaves her for another woman, and yet she's still in love with him, and, and uh, she feels like rejected, thrown out. So uh, this is her, her experience that she articulates, and probably one of the most, uh, in her letters, about, I have about 156 letters of Mother Teresa that speak about her soul. They were written to confessors, spiritual directors. She wanted them destroyed. These are the ones that didn't get destroyed. Okay. And 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 so the lights go out around 19, uh, end of 1951, I would say. That continues in her letters and bemoaning the darkness and the coldness and, and just the rejection. Kept her very humble. She never really was tempted about the work, she says. Uh, knew the work was God. She knew she was a little woman. She knew it was incompetent to do this. Uh, but she, there was no way that she could get pompous because her soul was in complete darkness. So that goes on to about 1956. Pope Pius XII, who signed the decree of praise to, to start their community in 1950, uh, dies. Pope, uh, Archbishop Perry says a requiem mass in the cathedral in Calcutta uh, for, you know, the, for the Pope. And at that mass, she asked for a sign if God was pleased with the work, if Jesus was pleased with the work, to somehow let her know. The lights went back on. She felt overwhelmingly loved, union, and, and that went on for about a month. Come November, in middle about November 14th or so of that year, uh, 1956, boom, back in deep, deep darkness. Mm. And we think that it remained until she died. Until she died in 1997. So, yeah. So we think about a 40, yeah. you know, 46, seven. Uh, you know, 47 year, uh, year darkness, wow. which throws spiritual theologians yeah, in a loop yeah. because you Absolutely. go through darkness and you reach union and then, and then you know, you have normal struggles and trials. Yeah. But Yeah. So yeah. Let, let's kind of give a little catechesis into this real quick. So right. spiritual theologians talk about the, the unitive, the, I mean, the, 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 Purgative, the luminative, and then the unitive way. Right, and that these are the stages of the spiritual life. This has been this has been articulated by Gary Lagrange and some others. Jordan Allman, who's sure. written about it goes this way thing. back, way to back before. And there we go. So, so we're talking about you know three kind of more or less stages as we enter into this. That we we God is 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 calling us, and then there's a time of purgation. But then the 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 period between the the illuminative and then the unitive is is often a, a period of, of intense darkness. Right. Now, I think it's important to say that even among what Mother Teresa experienced, 
was unique even among what, what we understand kind of how God calls us or how God kind of operates within us. So when people are kind of, again, another thing that I think another misconstrued factor here, when people found out about this and read the book, Come Be My Light, that became popular, you know, mm-hmm. a few years ago, people flippantly will say, well, Mother Teresa, you know, had dryness, you know, for a few years or whatever. So, no, no, no. Like, did, what, like what Mother Teresa experienced is not the same thing you and I are experiencing. Like we're, we're talking about another level, right? That's correct. So, so let's not be flippant about, about her experience. Like her experience was like intense dryness and an intense darkness um, that was something even unique among the dark night of the soul. That's correct. Is that correct? That's correct. Am I correct in all this? All right. So I think it just sometimes we have to be, we have to be cautious because we're, we don't want to, even as we're talking about this, I, again, the hard part when we, when we listen to the lives of the saints is that what can we glean from their life that is applicable to my own life? Because my job isn't to compare my life to Mother Teresa's. Not at all. Because God loves me in a very particular and unique way. That's and correct. as much as God loved her in a very unique and particular way. But I can learn from her experience to be able to guide me in, in the particular challenges that I'm facing in, in, in my life today. So anyways, uh, one other thing I do want to say just for the sake of getting all this out, like, well, before, okay, before then, like, why does God allow then the dark night? Like, why mm-hmm. would, why, why as a theologian would God allow Mother Teresa, arguably one of the, the greatest saints of the 20th century, to experience for 47 years this intense darkness, even as her mission is, is progressing? Right. What, what do you speculate? What do you think of that? Well, when we speak about the dark night, uh, just who we are, uh, the, the three ages that you mentioned, St. Thomas does a nice job saying the first age is infancy. And then you got to be weaned from the breast and the baby doesn't like that and throws, you know, cutting teeth to get cholera and crying and throwing a fit. Uh, but preparing a little baby for solid food. Then the adolescence growing in virtue and eating everything and you can't keep the sizes of shoes on them and stuff. And then it's time to get out the house, you know, and and, and, and pay your own insurance and get married and start to, to, to be an adult. And so the puberty and transition outside the house. And so those transitions, what we call dark nights, John of the Cross delineated those. So Mother Teresa had that, as, as most people do, in the kind of organ, organic way that we grew in holiness. We're not Protestant where you're either saved or unsaved. It's that it's organic. It's a participation. And so God's life is really in me. And I am not fully baked. And so as I'm progressing, you see, there's there's less of me and more of Christ and building my personality. So less of me to go to my sinfulness and stuff like that, uh, selfishness, uh, to become more and more like Christ as he intended me to be as a unique human being. So that process uh, in these transitions kind of parallels natural life. And so the transition when God... Uh, starts to deal with me in a way that's more uh, holy, more like he, you see, experiences in a more spiritual fashion. And I'm very sensual. I'm very attached to my senses. Yeah. And uh, and and I'm very attached to my ideas and, and my ways because of pride. And so as God starts to show me who he is and uh, through contemplation, it causes a great deal of darkness mm. for the soul. So Mother Teresa had imperfections. Mother Teresa had shadows. She of course. Knew, you know, and, and so she wasn't like, didn't come out of the womb, you know, a saint. No, of course. Uh, and a lot of people were saying that. I said, no, she had a progression. She had to, uh, I remember one time she said, I had to go to confession because I got an argument with brother so-and-so and, and, uh, and she'd get angry. She had this strong, so that had to be purified. She was impetuous. When she'd write letters to the Archbishop, say, you know, we need to do this. Jesus wants this. Jesus wants this. And he'll say, I'll do it when I'm good and ready. But he, and he put her in a place and he, and he should have because she was impetuous. Uh, she kind of delayed. And then all of a sudden now she wants it when she wants it. 
So she was impatient and that had to be purified. So that's done interior. We can do only so much exterior. But then the Lord comes through the, the Holy Spirit, the gifts. He starts to think in me. He starts to love in me. He starts to choose and decide in me. And and that's real darkness and pain from my normal mode of operating. Right. So that's what we call, you know, we, we go to passive nights of sense, passive nights. So mother had to go through that because she's called to holiness. Now, and that's one of the shock when we heard about that because we everything was joy and roses and peace, no suffering. You got Jesus and Jesus, uh, joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Uh, and so even in spirituality, we forgot that. Read books in the 70s about the spirituality. It's all about experience, experience, experience. But the cross was devoid. Purification was no longer there. And so when a lot of people found out about Mother Teresa's dark night, they had extreme saying They thought she didn't believe. They thought she was an atheist. Uh, right. Christopher Hitchens, you know, made a big deal of yeah, that. Yeah, I know. See, I'm not, I wasn't going to talk about yeah, him. I know his but, book. Uh, he, but, anyways, but anyway, you see, so, uh, yeah. but, but that shocked. So right. much so, it was uh, it was rolled out on Time Magazine or whatever, yep. Newsweek New Crisis. It wasn't a crisis of faith. But Pope Bendick was on vacation. He had to weigh in and say, the saints experienced the silence of God. The saints, the saints, holy people, experienced the silence of God. Why? Because... Union with God. First, we spoke about the anthropological and fallen human nature has to be purified to have union with God. And God, you see, communicating us uh, in our in a human body, human uh, nature, and the need for purification. But also, because we're united with God, with Christ, through the person of Christ, not uh, no access to Trinity except through Christ, we share in all the mysteries of Christ's life. And Christ suffered and left us an example that we might follow in his footsteps. He did no wrong. He spoke, and yet he was uh, maliciously treated. So we have to have our share in that. And for Mother Teresa, the charism of Mother Teresa, and a religious community has a certain mystery of Jesus' life that they're called to participate. All the baptized participate in all the mysteries of Jesus' life. There's resurrection, ascension, his teaching, and we have our own proclivities and our own special graces. But for religious order, they're given a particular share, like a double portion in the transfiguration, a double portion in teaching, uh, mm -hmm. a double portion in working with the youth, a double portion of the crucifixion. And so Mother Teresa was called, Jesus uttered his eye thirst when he was in the dark night on the cross, when, the, when even the eclipse of the sun, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is the effect of sin on humanity, the brokenness of humanity. And he tasted that. And he shared some of that with Mother Teresa and her sisters. So the spirituality has a certain amount of that in it. You see, not that they're striving for it, but she was the foundress. She was going to be kind of the, the archetype person that was supposed to be like a leader in that. And so she was given, it had a lot to do with the charism. And it had a lot to do with those she was serving. Because Mother Teresa said in an early letter, I think October in 1947, she writes from Patna to her spiritual director. And she says, um, no, it was, it, she was writing from Loretta before she went to Patna. She says, we, I'm convinced, Father, we have to be very, very, very poor in order to help the poor. Mm. Now, she had no superlatives, so she would repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very poor. You get the message. But you see, uh, that became real for her because she, in 1961, she writes, we have to have our share in Christ's abandonment. And if we're going to help people, if we're going to if we're going to bring our people to God and God to our people, it's a priestly, it's a baptismal consecration thing. Mm -hmm. She wasn't a priest, she was baptized. But she says, if we're going to do that, we have to be able to you taste God and you got to taste, you see, the humanity's brokenness. And it causes you become like the airbag. You become like that buffer. 
And so a lot of Mother Teresa's darkness is uh, off the chart, different the from chart. ours and different right. mother mystics. Right. Is because she was called in an act of apostolate, you see, to help redeem the poor who were unloved, unwanted, rejected on the periphery. And that was a much deeper poverty than the material poverty that you can satisfy with giving them a meal. But to be unloved, to be unwanted, longing to be somebody to someone and yet rejected, that if I'm going to help that person, I have to have some kind of share in that. And so a lot of Mother Teresa's darkness was taking on, you see, a part of the, of the illness people. Of those she was serving. Those she was serving, exactly. And we priests, we do that. We yeah. hear enough, yeah. we work, we, we start to maybe have the temptations of maybe somebody I'm, I'm trying to help, or we get we get affected. We're, we're, we're wounded healers, and right. we have our own sinfulness, but we, 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 we are, uh, as it were, affected and even infected with those that we're hurting, uh, those that we're trying to ease or hurt. So God the Father so loved the Son that he made him sin, mm. is a... Uh, while he was without sin, you see, to save us from our sins. So he willed that the son would be made to take on the effects of sin. So we see that with Mother Teresa, that she was bearing, you see, love. Love brings a union. And if I love someone who is broken, that union, I start to feel what it's like to be broken. And I offer that in my priestly heart. Somebody with love has to suffer that in the flesh. Jesus no longer suffers in his glorified body. He suffers in his members. And thus we see John Paul's Magna Carta about the Christian meaning of human suffering. Mother Teresa is a great, great icon for us that suffering is a born with love, brings great, great uh, sanctity. It brings healing and it brings joy. So what do we do with our suffering? According to Mother Teresa, what, what would be for any of us who are suffering for a whole host of reasons, let's say, uh, personal sin and and, mm -hmm. and the effects of uh, a sin that we can't or a vice we can't quite you know kick or the 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 suffering of a desire that hasn't been fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I think of single women you know in their forties yeah. who are longing for a husband and it just hasn't happened or or if a recent surprise of losing a job or or any any tragedy that's unplanned for. What 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 advice or what counsel mm -hmm. is, is is given for Mother Teresa? This is the kind of this. Active passivity of Mother Teresa. This she uses the word "I, I accept" about two thousand times in her writings. I accept. It's fiat. It's Mary's fiat. That God, for all eternity, has foreseen this me losing this job. Mm. God has foreseen seen my situation. I was affected by this and that. I got a problem. It is my problem, but concretely. So I have to acknowledge that this is the problem. My addiction to this, or my loss of a job, or the fact that I'm forty years old. I'm not married, and my biological clock is ticking, I want to be married and a good desire and, and no, no results. I have to accept, I have to realize that situation and then before God accept it, that, that God has allowed this. He could have stopped it. He doesn't mean he desires it. Doesn't mean, especially with sin or the effects of other people's sin, but I have to, with God's help, accept it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an act of receptivity, see? And then stop, drop, roll. If there's some good to be done, you follow me? And that's the Christian community. That's why Mother Teresa, they would call the running congregation is that they recognized Jesus and they ran there to try to, they were first responders. Mm. Uh, if, if, well, they're, they're dirty, well, let's wash them. Mm. You say they're cold, well, let's, let's warm them. If there's some good to be done, we don't roll over and say, okay, well, suffering's good. Okay? No, it, it's within Christian charity to, to, to alleviate the sufferings of others. And if there's some kind of, of, of good to be done within the moral realm, within reason, 
then we should try to pursue it within reason. Uh, and then the fact is there is stuff I can't change and that has uh, God has allowed and to accept that and they say, Lord, thy will be done. Use this in some kind of, you know, you have my permission. I can't do this, it's bigger than me, but I'll stand here like Mary did the foot of the cross. I'll stand here and wait. And Mother Teresa says something similar. When the suffering is beyond normal, I stand like a little child, mm. you see, waiting for the storm to subside. You know, and waiting, you know, that's uh, patient suffering. It's, it's to wait, and to, to, to suffer the wait. And, uh, and that's what uh, Mother Teresa, you see that very big. And, and she would tell the dying, you know, it's when you suffer, it's then that Jesus is kissing you. She tried to, you know, this was always in her exhortation, trying to encourage him how privileged you are to be close to Christ. With and one you know, dying patient says, well, please tell Jesus to stop kissing me, mother. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, she had a good sense of humor. That's the one thing, you know, what, what Pope Francis brings out in yeah. Gaudete Exotati right. is it's very, very important to have a good sense of humor when it comes to suffering. But that kind of flips it a little bit, though, in terms of we think then that God blesses us by bringing us all these kind of things, you know, we, we our health, our finances, all these other things. But you're saying the opposite. Again, we don't want to get too contradictory, but like when God gets really close to us and he's really inviting us into his life, then that means if we're really going to be sharers and co-participators in, in this act of redemption, right? That we're, we're invited to, to bring his salvific grace into this world, that kingdom come, right? On, on earth as it is in heaven. We, we are participators in that, in the actualization of that prayer. And that means that like suffering is, 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 it's just, not even just unavoidable, mm-hmm. but that actually it's part of God's plan. Not, I mean, it's not His original plan because we have to deal right, with sin. Right, you know, right. the economy of salvation. Yeah, involves but it's part of. But yes. that it involves that we that it, we not just that it's unavoidable for us, but that we have to enter into that for ourselves and for the people that we are called to minister to. No question. And and uh, the uh, suffering we also and this has been the age old question death suffering right. uh, how we have evil in the world and right. theodicy right, right, right. Sure, philosophers sure. from the cavemen on um, but so we're going to suffer every man and that's what John Paul says behold the man but not just behold the man Pilate says but behold man mm. behold look at yourself in the mirror I'm suffering you suffer atheists suffer uh, holy people suffer we all have some suffering in this life and and in fact that is opened up for us as a share in Christ's suffering, that I can actually, in accepting it, well, we got all kind of natural values, but to unite that with Christ, especially in the, in the sacraments, the see the mass, that's the offertory. Offertory brings some suffering, put some suffering in the chalice. Right, yeah. See, that's, and my that's, sacrifice and yours, yeah, as the priest says, exactly. it's the invitation for I gotta the whole, bring something. all the baptized to be able to bring something to that moment. Yeah. Exactly. And and so this is the big enigma for, uh, and this is against your prosperity gospel, and all, but anything that comes from God's hand is a blessing. Amen. And Mother Teresa, this brings us to her spirituality with regard to about how she did. She took this from Therese, loving trust, total surrender, cheerfulness. Whatever you do, loving trust. God's loved me because he's loved me. I can trust him. And so this 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 trust is, you know, uh, in God. So Mary trusted, Jesus trusted, you see. Uh, and then total surrender. And total surrender is God's will, accepting God's will. So if God wants you to live in a mansion, live in a mansion. If I got to go to the cathedral and I'm living in a living share or something, I, well, that's what I do. Because uh, God put me there. He says, just don't put yourself there. Right. Let God put you there. And if God wants you to live on the street as homeless, well, then accept it, total surrender. So God, what God's asking me to do in my life is going to be different than you. And and he's not asking me to be a Mother Teresa. He's asking me to follow Michael Chopin. And it's got his own uh, crosses to carry. And it's got his own joys that are Amen. unique. 
Amen. And so I got to accept both. I, uh, we have to offer our joys and sorrows mm. because uh, the goodness of a good job and, and having some, uh, some finances to do some things for the family. Well, I got I to gotta remember the poor. Mm. Uh, God's blessed me to be able to bless somebody else. Amen. And I got to pass it on. And, and I'm deprived of it. And well, I, I, can, I can unite with Christ. And Christ came. Christ did not redeem us by his preaching or by his walking on water or curing. He hung on his back in terrible pain unable to move, and it was his interior accepting of what was being done to him that redeemed the world, mm. you follow me? And, and so, too, in our lives, some of our greatest, most powerful, potent moments of being used by God is not in my activity, but it's in my interior disposition of how I am dealing with what the Lord is allowing to be thrown at me. Good night. And um. then suffering. Well, I got work to do, Father. All right, man. You <laughs> and I like, both. I got a lot of work to do, man. This has been great talking about it, but I tell you, I'm not. Holy smokes, you know. Yeah, I'm, she's I'm really, a big gun. She's a big gun. So let me ask you one final question here right. before we kind of wrap up here. Because reading Come Be My Light, to be perfectly honest with you, I guess because I'm a trained therapist at this point, okay. you know, it's like a part of it felt too invasive for me to read, if mm -hmm. I can be honest. Like my mm -hmm. own experience of it was kind of like, did she want us to know this no and so where's the balance between honoring a woman's because she's still a woman even though she's a saint and she's right, now right. in canon and belongs to the positive faith and everything else we can use she's still a person with dignity and respect right. where's the balance between honoring her wishes to not let all of this come out and then all of it coming out for the greater good of the church right that's a place I struggle to be perfectly no, no, honest with you. That's a tough question. I don't want to objectify her spiritual life is what I'm trying to get at. You know no, what I mean? that's a tough question. Mother Teresa burned boxes. Yeah. I know that for a fact that Father Van Exen was sick. He couldn't. So he sent these boxes. Look, most of that belongs to the order. Go through it. Some of it might be letters of spiritual director for the nuns. Give it back to them. Uh, most of I, I trust you'll keep, you see, what you're supposed to keep. Mother Teresa gave it to one sister I knew and had her burn two big boxes. So a lot we'll never see. Good. Most of it was destroyed. Okay. Uh, and then the stuff that was in the archives, and some of it had to do with the history of the order, was important. Uh, but Mother wanted that destroyed, and she asked God to wipe from her memory that early experience about the thirst of Jesus because she didn't want she didn't want that to give attention to her or cause any. It was, it was a secret, and it wasn't a secret of disbelief. It was a secret. She didn't want attention on herself. She wanted it on Jesus, and she was very self-faced. She wouldn't talk a lot about her family, about her background. She would just continue to spin it back out to Jesus, even though she was one of the most popular people. We didn't know her. We didn't know what made it tick, and we didn't know about the interior darkness. John Paul, when he his will, all my notes, destroy them. Well, Monsignor Jibbets, now Cardinal Jibbets, didn't, and we have now, you see, all that being published and stuff against his will. Uh, was that... Uh, well, it just teaches that you want something destroyed, destroy it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Because the <laughs> yeah, kids may not. Die, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, Mario, destroy all your, your, your notes before the kids get all of you. But uh, the, the thing is, yeah, the greater good of the church, she belongs to the church. Once you have like this canonization stuff, it really is possession of the church. Things she wrote, she's a religious. I know. And as religious, you really can't possess it. You can have your intention. Um, and however, I'm of the opinion. I was not in favor of a book coming out with the letters of darkness. We can't understand our own little feeble things. Right. Uh, and it caused a big stir. I don't know if that was that helpful. Uh, I would have preferred a biography, a good solid biography of Mother Teresa, and then maybe her general letters, or maybe some of her, all her speeches. She, she has a lot out there to kind of learn really the spirituality of Mother and then to start uh, dealing with the darkness. So I found that it came out in a big way with a big splash with... And it was very widely 
and it and it caused uh, a, a lot of confusion. So I think that might have been just uh, a protocol. I I you know uh, was uneasy as well with that. Okay. It's very very personal. Very it's just very personal. I'd much it, rather yeah. get to know a person yes. uh, first on a, on a deeper level, and then uh, this I don't think is for household read. I think it's more for uh, those who have some knowledge to be able to then to articulate and, and, and to grow. But we can. God works through all this, of course, and, and He's done a great deal of good. Of but course, I, I just don't want. You. I just don't want like a. It, it, this is the wrong word, but it's just becoming. It's like a. It's just a little bit of a voyeurism when we kind it of is. when we gawk at people's. That's maybe too harsh of a word, but that's just what I feel, honestly. That's like right. about people suffering, like because I guess because as a therapist, I'm so. Um, Protective, protective of, of the of, stories that people tell there's me. No you know? question. Like, there's no question. And I and I have people sign confidentiality agreements and That's like correct. And I know people like, f- for example, you know my m- the last day when we were in Tallahassee and we were last Sunday mass we were in Tallahassee before we moved here to New Orleans, I had five or six couples that were in mass with us every Sunday. They had my wife had no idea that I was seeing them. Mm-hmm. Last Sunday before we packed the bags, packed the truck, moved here to New Orleans. All these couples just start coming up and start thanking me and thanking my wife, you know, for the work that I've done with them in counseling. Right. And Kristen's like, I had no idea you saw any of these people. Right. She's like, right. I know yeah. all these people. I see them every week. And I had no right. idea that you were seeing them in counseling. Right. It's like, then I've done my job well. That's exactly You right. know, like, then I've done yeah. my job well. Because, but so I guess that's my point is that I, I take that privacy very seriously. Right. But even, so again, God uses all things. And you, you do dress right. But I don't, if going backwards, I, I critique that as well. And and Pope Benedict did too. He said the saints experienced okay. the silence of God. You see, right. he was not, I think, uh, amused by it. Now, I'll say this, is that in Mother Teresa's day, I, I, I interviewed nuns who were very close friends. We'd go on holidays with her and, and very, very close. It's the Pauline Rego, who's deceased now within the ninth when I spoke to her. She said, we knew nothing of what was going on. She knew nothing about the interior life of my life. It, it, it was very very personal. And so it was not between your confessor and Mother Teresa would write confessional matter on it. And, and she said, we didn't. We did, uh, but today, you see, there's, there's a, there's a voyeurism. There's a, and, and there is There's helpful. like this expectation that like we have to share everything and there's we have not to put it all out boundaries. there. Social, there's no boundaries That's anymore. correct. And, yeah. and, and so I think uh, it, it, there is a, a certain injustice that was done and I think that a certain confusion uh, that has to be read uh, from the point of view of knowing Mother Teresa, knowing, understanding these stages of the spiritual life. When a kid's going through a certain level of transition, we understand that there's certain dynamics. And if we don't understand that, we, we're, we can actually be scandalized by it. Right. Okay. So uh, that's, that's, that's very important. I think today we speak too much about our interior lives. And what happens is it's like perfume. If you keep it uncovered, it loses mm. its, its potency. It's gonna be preserved and powerful as long. We have to, it's like a seed or like a bread in the oven. You gotta keep it closed. You can turn the light and kind of peer through the little window. But if you keep opening the oven, you'll never cook the bread. And if we don't put enough soil in our soul for the seed, there's places where only God goes. Places where maybe I'll confess that my spiritual director go. There's places where you, where the wife might go. You see, there's places where even in marriage, there are places there's where places where there's places go. there's places where they have to be reserved. Even that's correct. And people and I think won't tell anybody that. That's good. People think because they're married, it's open. No, no mm. way. Uh, and so there's there's circles, concentric circles, and a spiritual brother that you know uh, aren't yes. sharpening iron or yes. spiritual sisters. But uh, that's not well understood. And today we don't produce the kind of sanctity is our God has uh, has those impediments. Because we are very too 
the greater the extension, the less the intention yeah. of Aristotle. And that's certainly, a, a, maybe Mother Teresa's era could be accused of being a little too private maybe in the spiritual life and maybe not benefiting from a little bit of discussion in community. But certainly our uh, era in spiritually is deficient because we don't keep enough soil in our soul with regard to intimacy with Jesus and what's going on. So what's the equivalent 20 years from now when the great saints that are, are coming out are they going to say destroy all my old tweets or you know, like, <laughs> like delete the Facebook page? That's you know, right, like that's I mean, right. well, I mean, it's going to be it's a whole other. I mean, that's be, just a fad. You know, we just <laughs> we just gone through. They're not going <laughs> to be like you can't hold these, me for who I was when I was thirteen on Instagram. You know, like we'll be just, looking for a cloud, man. <laughs> that cloud, like it, it just evaporated. I know you're right. That's right. It's uh, going to be a whole nother ballgame when we talk about canonization in a few years. I, I looked at all it. that information is out there for it, anybody at any it, point exactly, to ever come and exactly, look at. Exactly. And we have to realize, too, that with an organic spiritual life, that you take mm-hmm. Mother Teresa and you look at her life, Mother Teresa changed. Mother Teresa converted. Yes. Mother Teresa was transformed. Yes. She's working. And so you can look at snapshots and you can see some things kind of embarrassing, like Paul getting so angry with Barnabas over, you know, over John Mark that, well, you go and I'll go somewhere else. And, and it was not very edifying, but praise God, it's in the Acts of the Apostles. So we can, we can say we have hope. And, uh, and, and, and uh, John Christendom says, see how imperfect they all are. Speaking about James and John mm-hmm. and then the other 10 becoming indignant because Mrs. Zebedee wanted to become a Monsignor or something and says, see how imperfect they all are. But show them to me at a later date, mm. okay? But today, if we find one little, if, if my message is hard to swallow and people are resisted, I find one little thing in my life, you see, that's, that's uh, non-conforming to the gospel, a shadow, and then they'll, they'll use that against you. And mm. uh, that's one thing that is gonna be a challenge into the future with canonizing processes, people to understand that there are real conversions and, uh, and people have been great sinners and become great saints. Amen. You know? Amen. So uh, we have to always realize that. Mother Teresa was never a great sinner, but she had her shadows and she became a very, very uh, a great saint. Amen. Well, Father Champagne, if people have been enjoying what we've been talking about, where would you recommend people to go to get more information or anything else about what you have to offer? Got any websites, anything you want to plug here you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, our website, uh, jesuscrucified.net, mm-hmm. we have a good resources page there with a lot of our teachings and with PDF files, slide presentation videos of some of our conferences. We work with the spiritual life called holiness. So maybe there's something that might might interest you. Fantastic. Well, I'll have a link to that on the show notes down below. Appreciate and it. And final question I ask all my guests, Father Champagne, what gives you hope? Hope, Christ. Amen. Christ, yeah, he's, he's our life, he's our hope, and he's alive. He's alive and uh, he's, he's in the sacraments, he's in, my, in our soul, and he's in people. And so, uh, that's, that's hope, and uh, it drives us. We see it every day. You know, I see. Uh, if we have eyes to see, uh, Christ is alive. He's at work. Amen. May we believe. All, may we all believe that. Yeah. All the God. time. Amen. All right. Amen. God bless you, man. Thanks so Thank much for joining me on the show. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, that does it for today's episode. Thank you, everybody, for joining me. It, she's she's a heavy hitter, man. I tell you what, you know, like having this conversation and even listening to it after the fact, I mean, doing this editing, it just for me, it's just I am a mere mortal, you know, like in the spiritual life. I'm I'm a baby. I don't I don't know. I don't know anything. You know, it's really what it kind of comes down to. And so Mother Teresa, pray for us. Uh, 
Help us to encounter the thirst of Jesus as you did. Help us to be humble of heart and open uh, to, to seeing you, to seeing the Lord, excuse me, even in the midst of the darkness that we experience in our lives. And so thanks, everybody. I hope that this episode has blessed you. Please, again, leave a review or, uh, or a rating on Apple Podcasts, or please check me out on social media at Dr. Mario Sacasa, and I'd be happy to have some dialogue with you there. Take care. God bless.